0: If more of you supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts.
1: Blah blah blah. The blah blah blah. Sending out good vibes. Blah blah blah. Good vibes. Blah blah blah. Good vibes. Blah blah blah. Good vibes. Good vibes. Underneath breaths
2: of deep gratitude and prayers for guidance and protection, and put on a didgeridoo and shamanic drumming track,
0: shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. okay guys welcome back to the grand america show coming at you on monday with uh Michael Laflemme, Atlantis. We're going back to Atlantis. Of course, not with Randall Carlson this time, but they do seem to agree on some stuff. So we're going to go back to the Azores, poke around for Atlantis with Michael LaFlemme and uh, see what... It, and I I might try and get this guy and Randall on the same show down the road and see. see oh, what yeah. Make happens. We could do some, like, real Atlantis roundtables, you know? We'll get yeah. Peter in the mix and just let him fucking tear him up. yeah. Yeah,
2: Peter wants to come back on too. And, Enigma Seeker. Uh, yeah. yeah, and he he uh, this this book of his, Visions of Atlantis: Reclaiming Our Lost Ancient Legacy, is is pretty cool. It's 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 because it's it's more than Atlantis, you know. But it also includes all the detailed visions, and we talk about that book. Um, that was that was uh, the Dweller on Two Planets, which was kind of like an earliest early sci-fi kind of Star Wars thing that was channeled by you a young kid that seemed to correlate with some of Atlantis and Donnelly stuff and Plato and fuck Ed- Edgar Casey. We get into all that. It's, it's really, really quite fascinating. It's so, a yeah. One. yeah. And this is I just, rambling, this is our la- rambling little intro. Uh, you can, you can skip forward to this, to the interview, but this is where we get to talk talk about some important stuff this week to let everybody know what's going on. What were you saying?
0: Well, I got to give a shout out to, uh, to Paul. To Paul, yeah, I think it's, it's Sir Scandinavia, right? Yeah,
2: I think so, Sir Scandinavia. Yeah.
0: Anyway, he helped us out with a nice envelope full of cash, which uh, really Thanks, helped in these dire times. And I mean, over and above that, he put me and Shauna and Cassandra were up in Jasper for uh, a couple of days, stayed at his place. He was out of town, and he boarded his boat. Went fishing, went for a nice boat tour. So it was a magnificent little weekend. Seen some huge elk. I mean, it really was great. Uh, the missus had a great time. Cassandra had a great time. And it was all thanks to Paul. So, you know, I needed I did like 16, 17-hour days every day last week trying to figure out the audiobook fiasco and then ping-ponging that off a of hunting. And dragging shit out of the bush, which sounds like fun. And it is a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's my favorite thing to do, but it's still a lot of fucking work. So it was nice to just go to Jasper and just uh relax for a couple minutes. Did you up. take the Icefields Parkway? I did, I did. I took that there, and then on the way back, I came halfway down that and cut out and came through Rocky Mountain House and all that. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. I could like, cause yeah. there's some prime hunting ground out there. I've been wanting to scope out for a while, but it's a few hours from here to drive out and just go scoping. So
2: yeah,
0: there's some nice line up there. There's entire fucking units of just public land where there's probably giant elk. Wow. Which start rutting in like a week. <laughs> To 10 days.
2: What is the rutting again for people that aren't I hunters? I
0: call them in with my what call, the and then shoot them with my bow.
2: They don't fall for your call, do they?
0: Dude, when they're horny, that's when you get them. That's what the rutting is? They're... That's what the rutting is. Those things only fuck for like a few months a year, and then they just, you know, that's it. So they get it on, and they get uh, stupid, just like us, when we're horny. <laughs> So yeah, shout out. Thanks, Paul. It was great. Great little trip. So, so what, did to, what did you do? Uh, that, it wasn't a long weekend. Was I, a long
2: either, weekend. I was trying to work on the audiobook thing while you're gone. So I was doing that mainly. Getting ready to move. I mean, I'm I'm gonna be moving lots of everything's everything is changing in life right now. So we're trying to figure out the audiobook thing I'm moving. So I'll go into all that. Trying to sell my car, it broke down again. I don't want to go into what? that. I, no, yeah, don't. Yeah, I didn't. No. this, this is the third. Pay I know. Did you but, pay them already. I did pay them. Yeah, it's a warranty. It's on a. It's under a warranty, but the fuel. But they can't get the fuel pump to work
0: properly. It's. Yeah, uh, that's worse. Yeah, it doesn't matter.
2: Because it's I know, Just, I don't want to get into it right now. Because I want to stay positive. Because we got, we got a positive outlook here. We got to. We do have uh, some really interesting stuff to talk about. I've got some UFO stuff and some other stuff to talk about. You want me to do that or do you want to get into that? i do that
0: first. Let's get that out of the way.
2: Okay. So I want to give you guys a little update on the Malcolm Bendall stuff. Did you hear about what happened on the weekend then?
0: Yeah? i seen that you forwarded me something. But I, I'll admit I didn't have a chance to read it yet. I just got home a few hours ago. Well,
2: it was, a live, it was a live stream, so Randall Randall posted this as well. So this was a live stream, a live demonstration, I think it was in New Mexico, of the motor with Malcolm Bendall. This is the new clean technology, the sacred built on ancient wisdom and sacred geometry that uh, Randall, That the big controversy with Joe Rogan. Anyways, they did a live demo with a group of people that were there, I guess, all weekend. And they brought the engine in. I, I mean, they, I think they brought the parts in from the UK, which was running on an engine in the UK. Then they brought it in here and they put it on a new engine. And the new engine had some problems, and they had to put it on another new engine. Like the five hours they were building, like a new engine and putting this stuff on. But anyways, it seemed to be running fine, and the exhaust seemed to be it seemed to be working. The plasmoids were, you know, were working. Took a little bit of finagling to get it going now with the, with the new engine. And, uh, but in the end, in the end, it seems like it's working and they they were measuring the exhaust and the carbon dioxide's down and the oxygen's up. And I mean, dude, I mean, he had a team of people around him and the team was like, this is real and it's working, getting measurements. We've got an industrial like power plant in the UK retrofitted with it. There's big industrial machinery that's retrofitted with it. I mean, it really seems like this is legit and it's going forward. So I just want to give everybody an update. I mean, actually, I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, It's probably 30 bucks for the six hours of video, but I think it's still available to purchase. But, you know, it's on HowTube. So there you go.
0: HowTube. And then... on that? What? Are you in on the... I don't know. I'm still on the fence. Yeah, man. I, I think it's. I think it's legit. I appreciate I'm, your optimism. I still. Because I know you have no fucking understanding of it, but you're just like still like, yeah.
2: Well, yeah. It's. it's I a have true mutation. It, it's more it, alchemy. The other
0: way. So what? We have the same understanding of it, but we've gone in different directions. Yeah. Well, Our ignorance I'm, is.
2: Um, I guess you're thing. the optimist. I'd love to be re- I'd love to be one of the first ones driving around with a retrofitted car at clean energy, right? Like, you know.
0: The you, carbon. Do you think you could are you are we on the list for cars or anything?
2: Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe my car, maybe my car needs to be instead of selling it, maybe I should retrofit it.
0: Well, maybe we could can we get some cars?
2: We well, no, them? first thing we need plans to build the shit and all that. I mean, it really needs they really need to start like mass-producing the
0: shit, you know? But are we on the list to get cars for, like, you know? Oh, human I, supporting them from day one?
2: Yeah, I think we're on, the list we're on the short list, yeah. Yeah.
0: That'll be good. I'll be road-tripping like a motherfucker when I don't have to pay for gas anymore. What's the tow capacity? Yeah, I mean,
2: apparently it increases the efficiency. It doubles the efficiency and cleans the exhaust. I mean, it's it's brilliant, right? I mean, that could be the answer to the world's problems.
0: All right. Let's hear about your aliens.
2: So, is I mean, I've been going back. stuff. What
0: is this more disclosure stuff?
2: Well, yeah, kind of. I mean, I've been phoned the one. I've seen him. Uh, I've seen him on on a Michael one uh, video. No, he's the one. the the J U A N the one. And uh, he was just he, it's just this Twitter post that I found fascinating because he's like a time a timeline from Roswell forty seven to the creation of the DOE in seventy seven. So. 30 years after Roswell, the DOE. And remember way back when we did our Black Budget episodes and we did that one on the, on the national labs and the DOE, right? And I've never forgotten like how many of those national labs like Los Alamos and Lawrence Livermore and, and Brookhaven and um, they were funded by the DOE. So he says, I guess we know who took custody of those crashed disks. Number one, 47, the Roswell crash. Number two, 47, custody of the crash is given to Los Alamos, run by the Atomic Energy Commission. 74, that commission were reorganized into the Energy Research and Development Administration. And then in 77, it reorganized as part of the DOE. And I find that fascinating. That's the Department
0: of Energy, right? Yeah. They got all the secrets. Yeah. They're the ones, right? I on know. Floor. I
2: think they're the ones that kind of like semi, but but these labs. I mean, if the DOE is funding these labs, whether it's like official funding or black budget funding, or whatever, and uh, and they're like that's sort of semi-private uh, compartmentalization of this stuff, right? I mean, that would be a way to hide the technology. And bring it out into industry through these labs, right? I mean, in each person in the lab, you're signing all these guys. It's all top secret labs. They're signing NDAs and all that kind of stuff when they work there, or whatever you call that. And they, uh, you know, they probably work in a little area analyzing this metal, but they don't really know where it's from or what it's for, and they're not allowed to know.
0: What like that too? Yeah. (laughs) So here's a quote. Here's a quote for you. Oh wait, wait, wait. I got the thing. Uh, oh boy, you know, um, I don't know. No, that's not it. I just want to try and get this right the first time. You know, I've been not. I've been not doing great on the UFO quote. There's so many fucking quote jingles in this soundboard now.
2: Yeah,
0: I know that last time I did get it after the third try. Maybe it's this one. No.
1: No.
0: You no. <laughs> <So>. UFO. <laughs> <laughs> UFO. UFO.
1: Down in grave going deep. It's a profound UFO quote of a week.
2: Words to ponder and critique. We really love this one.
1: It's a profound <laughs> UFO quote
2: of the week. So DOE, you say, this is from the one again.
0: Quote profound him, quotes on the one?
2: It's not his quote, but
0: okay.
2: basically what happened was after we climbed back up, the DOE, Department of Energy people were there. They knew about it. UFO crash retrieval in Peru. So I don't know why we went there still to this day but anyway, I was arrested. I had all my gear taken from me by men in black camis. They had no name tags. They were older men, probably in their late thirties and forties. I was at the site probably 15 or 20 minutes. We were the first people on the position. Then there were other people. They had containment suits. They must've just
0: gotten there. I have no idea who did I'm,
2: I'm not Lance,
0: guessing these UFO ones.
2: That's Lance Corporal Jonathan Wegant.
0: Like Chinese? Uh,
2: n- no, I don't think so. Anyways. Well, okay. It's a bit of a controversy. Nobody knows if it's real or not. and people. No, are, you know.
0: I know it's real. We need support. America.ca slash support. Uh, if you can, when you can, guys, if you're getting some value from our show here, you know, 615 episodes out there, all back catalogs for free. We try and bring you some quality entertainment. We do the outlawed show. We have a bunch of free stuff over there. All fun stuff there. So what we're going to. Well, and before we you need, move on from that, I'm not going to move on from that. We just need some support. Go slash support. If you're getting some value from the show, that's how you send some value back our way. Some people make us jingles like Felix makes us jingles and that makes us heart. We have all these people. People used to email us all sorts of stuff just to read on the show. That's a different way to support the show. Sharing the show is a way to support the show, and ultimately, sending in financial support is a way to support the show. Like America. dot support. Whether it's a buck a month, whether it's a one time donation once, whether it's five bucks a month, you know, it's 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 all out there for free, but it's not supposed to be free. So if you are getting some value from a little podcast here, EdwardGradAmerica.ca slash support today. Sign up for a monthly or make a one-time donation. Before I do move on to how we are bringing some more value to your life, to your commute, to your gym, to your, whatever you're listening, your work, whatever it is, what did you got?
2: No, I just want to talk about America Outlawed, too. We are putting out extra episodes over there, too. And we're doing kind of like this. Uh, we're doing one out, or at least one episode a week, just me and Darren shooting the shit, going over like latest episodes and stuff like that. One of them is free. One of them is uh, subscriber-based. But uh, these these intros might be a tad shorter. We might not get into as much detail because we're we're spending time over there in Outlawed now as well. So we'd love to have a bunch of people migrate over to America Outlawed. It's a completely separate podcast separate feed
0: yeah and you don't have to pay for that you can just it's free if you just type grammaric outlawed into wherever you're listening to this show it'll come up we had it set at 33 episode back catalog we're going to just take that off and open it up so that for free you can get the whole back catalog for free there's 152 free episodes over there an hour long some of it's some pretty controversial stuff and uh, there's a whole system over there where you can get more of those interviews and a bunch of extra contents like the roundups. We're doing Canadian politics, stuff like that on the free ones that won't get us kicked off of the regular platforms. And uh, the other ones are like quack scene deaths, summaries from across the board and the trans agenda stuff from uh, the angles opposite of what you hear in every place else. And the stuff that is, you know, cancelable, they're still deleting our old stuff off of YouTube for talking about stuff before it was even a thing. So there's Grammaric Outlaws. Like I say, you don't have to pay. You don't have to be paying to get it. It's just there. 152 episodes for free. And uh, if you want to support there, you can. Some people do. Speaking of getting canceled. Speaking of getting canceled. Of course, we've been talking about their audiobooks which has been, you know, over the last few years, we've published 97 audiobooks on Audible. For every audiobook sold, we get 40%. Amazon gets 60%. Um, And then because I had some issues with my KDP account last year, the end of last year, which KDP is impossible to talk to, um, it's just a robot. You're just constantly dealing with a robot. So they deleted my Kindle account last year i had another kindle account uh they deleted that when they found out it was associated to me they they found out graham was associated to me and deleted his Which is not really i
2: mean that's not even it wasn't even really legit right i mean that's not like it wasn't your account it was my fucking account
0: yeah well not only that to that we had some friends of the show start out some accounts for us and try to because it was an avenue we were using to publish their own Kindle book before you could make the audio book. You had to have this sort of process. We had to have that ebook made before you could do it. So we were like, well, we'll have some friends do it. So they made some KDP accounts. They tried to publish some books when they noticed that they were publishing the same titles we used to have published. They deleted their accounts and uh, refused to turn them back on. When are you just talking to AI robots the whole time? That's it. No discussion. So and they like, don't even give don't you
2: know. a warning. Like when the first thing happened,
0: no warning, no, like, Hey, this
2: is a strike. We don't like what you tried to do there. It's just like, oh, you're shut down. No questions asked.
0: Yeah, so then uh, we were like, well, it wasn't a huge deal because we were able to, because of the public domain nature of the content, we were able to work with other publishers that already had versions of them. Out. You know, it was a, just sort of a back-and-forth publicity thing where we could link to their books and keep going until mid-July. When we were informed that because our Kindle account, because the Kindle account associated wasn't the the Kindle account in general, it was the Amazon account. The Amazon account used to have the audiobook account needs to be in good standing in all Amazon products, and because it had been suspended from KDP, they were going to suspend it from there too. We went back and forth with them for a couple of weeks. They didn't pay us for our June sales. Um, you know, which amounts to thousands and thousands of dollars. We're not gonna get into that too much yet because we're waiting till the end of the month to see if they're gonna pay us the money they owe us or not. If they don't, we'll talk about that more. But anyway, uh long story short, they have that's for sales pass. Like they haven't paid us for sales for the month of June yet or July and now or August. So it'll be two and a half months of sales that they haven't paid us for. We're waiting to the end of the month to see what happens there. So we decide what our next move is. And then uh, on top of that, they've now terminated the account. The books are no longer for sale. So you can't find any of those audiobooks books on audiobooks on, on audible or Amazon as of right now. Actually, I guess I could uh, I'll play the jingle
1: at that's a-d-u-l-t-b-r-a-i-n.ca
0: so anyway yeah they deleted uh the account so those books are no longer for sale so we have been squirming we had an exclusive deal with audible for 97 titles which is how we got the 40 percent royalty because if you do a non-exclusive deal it cuts in half Um and Audible is about 65% of the market, so it was easy. So now we paid the price for that. They've deleted our account. We left scrambling. We have found another distributor to go through um to get our books into Kobu and wherever else you can get audiobooks that Libra, uh audiobooks.com, all these different places that aren't audible. Uh, Back on Apple for sure. For sure they'll be back on Apple. Um, we're trying to get them back on audible as well so we'll find out about the audible thing for sure Well, we'll know by the end of the month but we're going through a different distributor that can get us into audible non-exclusively for you know a little less than half the money but we'll also be on those other platforms which should make up for some of that um you know we'll see how much we make on sales it looks like we're going to take a hit on sales either way but uh, the non-exclusive nature of the deal Left us free to sort of brainstorm some stuff. So we spent, you know, sixteen or seventeen hours a day last week re-uploading, you know, 150 gigabytes worth of audiobooks to these new distributors and doing all the new metadata over and the art over and adult brain. Chapter titles. And so we got all that, you know, or we got probably a third of those just, uh, into distribution now so it's a matter of how long it takes before we find out what platforms they made it to and when as that happens we'll let you guys know where you can start getting those books again they're still at adultbrain.ca but we thought uh, why not take some of this into our own hands now that it's uh, a non-exclusive agreement we can do whatever we want with these audio files um including sell them on those other platforms but we're podcasters and you know, it's funny because I'd heard from some people that were no good audiobook podcasts, so I kind of started poking around. I couldn't find a good audiobook podcast. So we decided we we're going to make an audiobook podcast called Adult Brain Audiobooks. And uh, so we're going to upload all of our 100 books and grow on. We're going to keep going. We add about a title or two a month, sometimes three, depending on how long they are. Those will go up for sale to those distribution centers. Maybe audible, maybe not, but they'll also go to the Adult Brain Audiobook Podcast, which will have a hundred samples. You know, that are somewhere between a th- either a third of the book if it's a short book, or a long chapter if it's a long book. And uh, so there'll be hundreds of hours of those audiobooks available there. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to take three of those books and make them available free. And on the first day every month, we're going to switch those the first week of each month. We're going to switch those three books up to three different books. So every month there'll be three of these with ISIS Unveiled, Unabomber, all these different books are going to just cycle through being free each month. So you can just sign up for the uh, um, Adult Brain Audiobooks RSS feed and just get it for free. Just like that. Boom, done. Um, that RSS feed is not submitted to Apple yet, but it is all, you'll be able to click on it at adultbrain.ca. There'll be one button at the top that says Get Premium, another button that says Free Podcast. Like I say, there'll be three books a month free for the one. We're going to start it out with, I think we're going to make Hamlet's Mill free. We're going to make the Unabomber Manifesto and Other Essays by Ted Gazinski free, which has three essays you've never heard before. And uh, what was the other one?
2: Uh, Book of the Damned by Charles Book Fort. And the Damned by Charles it, Fort
0: in honor to, of all the new UFO stuff. So you can just, just, just
2: honor, the, honor the falling rocks from the sky that have been going on the other day.
0: We're going to submit the feed to Apple tonight. I don't know if it, so, we'll, so we, Graham's going to start submitting the feed right after we're done recording. It might be searchable in your podcast player. By the time this comes out, it might not. I don't know how long they take. But if you just head over to adultbrain.ca, like I say, there'll be a button on the top that you click that'll open up the RSS feed. It should just open it up in whatever podcast player you're listening to. That'll be the free one. You'll see another button there that says get premium. What's that all about, you say? Well, we got 100 books here. And instead of just rotating them out for free all the time, we figure, well, for people who don't want to wait, you can just pay the 7 bucks and 77 cents a month to become an Adult Brain premium member. And that'll give you access to all 100 audiobooks all the time for free, wherever you go, including every, like I say, we're adding, on average, we're adding uh, 30, 30 to 40 titles a year right now to the catalog. We're just going to keep uploading those to the podcast, so you can just keep piling stuff in there. And if
2: we'll be able to ready. do ones that can't get to Audible either. Like That's ones the
0: other thing. We have some books. That are too racy for for Audible. Like now we're gonna start re looking at this from a perspective of, you know, we might not agree with the content, but we're gonna read some books that they say maybe shouldn't be read. Those would be available for members back there, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So it's gonna be a kind of a value thing where you're getting these free books all the time. You can also sample 97 other books, and decide if you want to sign up for Plus or wait a few months till maybe they come up for free. Or you can say, hey, I just want that book. I don't want to wait. I'll just go to fucking Kobu or to Amazon or to wherever, and I'll just buy that book and listen to it on that podcast player, even if that's audible. I don't care. I mean, whatever. Yeah, they are they control enough of the industry that I can, I'm not going to disparage them too much. It's frustrating to fight with them. We hope they pay us. If they don't pay us, we'll probably you know disparage them a little bit more. As for now, we're hoping to still have some sort of relationship with them because it is a huge outlet. We'd like the books to be able to get there. Ultimately, though, if you guys want to get those books that we've been talking about forever for free, a bunch of them for free, and free samples of all of them, I think the sample for ISIS too is like two and a half hours long or something like that. So you get a good chunk of the book to decide if you like it or not.
2: Let me give. Can I give you an idea of where they're where they're also at too? Besides Audible, like the, I mean, scribs Let me. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do it. Spotify, you know, e-book, Bibliotheca, uh, Follett, Hoopla, Overdrive, Oversoft, Wheelers, Three Leaf. I mean, Audiobooks.com, Audiobooks Now, Bam, Beak, Binge Books, Bogus, Bogus Play, Bookmate, Chirp. I mean, so we're thinking this is really a good thing in the end. it's, it's a, we're, we're positive. We're gonna, we can put all our stuff. We're going to get all our stuff out there, all these places, instead of just Audible. Because there is some pushback against Amazon and Audible, too. I mean, I know that. Uh, Not only that, I, we
0: get to podcast, So we got all of a sudden this way where all these people, if you don't like all that shit, you can just do it through a podcast player. You can support us directly. You can get, you know, a 100 books and counting, all the Charles Fort, all the Agrippa, all the, the Obatskis pretty much, you know, and we're still just going hard. we're still recording now that we have an outlet again Graham starts narrating like crazy I mean like I say we're adding 30 to 40 titles a year on average so you're looking at a couple two or three titles a month adding to that 100 books if you want to be a member but like we say we're going to keep cycling through some free books probably like some other books will be free all the time like because my book's free other places I'll just have that on there for free once it gets going but anyway this gives you guys a chance i mean you can sign up now i'll be honest i think we've only got six or seven books uploaded right now the free ones are available if you want to sign up and get the free books right now you can get the three free books and a few uh sample chapters to check out if you want to sign up to be a member you can get the six or seven full books right now we're going hard i'm adding five or six books a day i'm thinking it's going to take me two weeks to get the full i mean there's the isis unveil is 29 hours. So it's 60 hours of files. uh, just for two books that I've uploaded so far. How much meals another 20-some hours. Uh, So it takes time to get all those files up there, but you can rest assured that that's what we're working on uh, full time in the background right now is getting both of those feeds populated. Um so for now, what we want you guys to do is either download the free feed if you're interested in the audiobooks, or if you want to sign up to be a member and bear with us, you only get the five or six books now. Probably you know twenty, thirty by the end of the week, and a hundred by the end of the month. You can go sign up now and uh, start listening to some stuff. You can listen for free now. Uh, you can even you know start if you have an audiobook friend and they want to get listen to a free book. Go ahead. Just bear in mind that's not done yet. We're a few weeks from having it full. It's not full yet, but uh, we're going hard. We're uploading hard. We're hoping we can become the biggest audiobook podcast in the world. Because when I look around right now, there's not a lot of crazy competition. It seems like a new avenue for this. And uh, we're excited to see what it can turn into. And that's just another way, if you guys want to support us right now, well, we're fucked. Uh, You know, if a bunch of you signed up for that, that would definitely help to pay the rent next month while we're waiting to see what the fuck happens around here. Like I said, you can just hit grandamerica.ca slash support. That's another way. But we do have finally have answers on audiobooks. We're officially canceled from our ACX account. We're trying to get back in Audible through a back-end distributor. We are in all those other places Graham mentioned for sure. We will be back in Apple for sure. The only place that we don't know for sure right now is Audible. 50-50. But we're definitely on adultbrain.ca and coming at you with a brand new podcast, Adult Brain Audiobooks.
2: Right on. That's Thanks. I
0: got. What? That's all I got. You know, we're going to spend probably 200 hours getting this feed and everything figured out and done. Uh, but the uh, premium feed and the free feed are both workable right now. The websites workable. So you can go get the free one or get the other one and just watch it grow every day by a few titles sign up to be a member. Now, if you want us to support us that way, and you can tell your friends about the show. But it's, been a, it's been a pretty trying month of three weeks but it's, it seems like we're back on track in Grow America yeah. so thanks for the people that did you know throw a one time donations our way to help us you know float the gap and pay some bills when that shit just didn't show up because we just found out like three days before we got paid that we weren't getting paid so yeah that's all I got you got anything else? No that's it alright guys let's get back into Atlantis Happy times in America. Enjoy the chat with the one and only Michael Flem.
2: Michael, how's it going? Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, thank you for having me.
2: Before I forget, big shout out to the Amish Inquisition. Who uh, I heard Amish. your episode with with them. It was uh, it was fantastic, and uh, they put, oh. they put a, they connected us. And uh, now I listened to your your audiobook the oh. Visions of Atlantis: Reclaiming Our Lost Ancient Legacy. It was it was really awesome. I loved it.
3: Oh, thank you. Oh, so, yeah. Thank you.
2: Yeah, this will be this will be fun. We've done a few different shows on Atlantis. You know some. You know, people have views about, uh, you know, all different areas of where they are. But I think yours was a real unique look because you kind of went you kind of went a different way. Right. Do you want to talk about maybe how you you chose to go the route you did on your book?
3: Yeah. um, You know, I was interested in just plugging in uh, some details that I felt were really difficult to access, you know, Um, because you've got obviously. Plato's, excuse me, Plato's accounts from his two dialogues, which are detailed, but they don't exactly reconcile this idea that it was a highly advanced civilization that I heard a lot of people talking about. And I was interested um, as a historian myself in, okay, when did this Atlantis was more advanced than us idea come into the discussion and then is there any evidence of that that I can access and you know to do that you have to tap into things like remote viewing things like past life readings or in the case of I think the strongest evidence um, it would be clear audience which is you know essentially hearing voices which I understand people's reservations with but I would urge anybody you know read the chapter on, you know, my analysis of the channeled book, A Dweller on Two Planets, which was channeled in 1886 and is describing not only current geological findings that were not known in 1886 about North and South America or the, you know, say, Younger Dryas Impact Theory, which Was, you know, very few people were actually talking about that at that time and describing high technology, um, you know, basically flying machines, uh, crystal technology and why that technology was lost before the final destruction, which I've always said, you know, when people say, well, how did they go from, you know, Star Wars to the story? Plato was telling because in Plato's story, they're sailing in triremes. It's basically he's describing a bronze age society, albeit in a lost megalithic capital city and things like this. Well, that book explained it because he said, look at the end, the final millennia society devolved and people forgot how to build the phones, the holographic projectors, the flying ships and basically regressed to this Mad Max world that, you know, I would argue Plato was himself chapping into from the story that the Egyptians gave him, who I think there's overwhelming evidence are the descendants and a remnant colony of these people. And according to their own stories, that's the case. So that's not my opinion. That's what the Egyptians anecdotally and in The Turin King's List themselves suggest that they came to that region after and during the kind of final destruction which itself was not um, I think literally in a day although perhaps there was one day with a lot of destruction that was captured but according to my investigation was you know took place over many centuries actually um, and you know, I think it's important to, you know, the details really matter in this story because just from the, um, you know, the word Atlantis, I think a lot of people just think literally that there's a circular city. And if you find it, you have found the entire story. And, you know, even in Plato's account, he's not talking just about the capital city, which is circular. He's talking about a mid-Atlantic island, large island, probably larger than England or around the same size, that had control over other islands and dominion over the Mediterranean and was aware of the North American continent and was a military industrial empire, according to Plato. Um, So when people say, well, you know, it's in the Bahamas, it's in North America, it's in Mauritania, it's in Egypt, it's in here. It's like, well, if you're looking for evidence of the Roman Empire, and you find the Colosseum. Does that mean you found the Roman Empire? No. It means you found the capital city of the Roman Empire, but you're going to see ruins in Carthage. You're going to see ruins you know, in Gaul. You're going to see ruins in England. It just means that you found evidence of the empire, not the whole story. So I think that was another important um, thing I wanted to kind of just correct because I had seen so many people – kind of just looking for the magical circular city. And then, you know, where is it? We haven't found it. It's like, well, you know, we might never, that might actually be the worst thing to look for, you know? Because if that indeed exists, it's probably at the bottom of the ocean around the Azores or the Canary Islands from my research. So why not look for things that we can see? Like why not look at the Giza Plateau? Why not look at the temples in the Yucatan where many of these channelers said the remnants went, you know?
2: So uh, can you get into that book a little bit more? Because I think that's one thing that's sort of lesser known about the whole thing. And, and you kind of mentioned, it's almost like a a modern star Wars tale in a way, but it is go back. And you found some stuff that sort of directly correlated to what you were looking at on a map. And, and it's interesting to date because I, when I was, what really shocked me over the last couple of years reading, I was reading all these books from the 1800s, like narrating Blavatsky's books, like Mm Isis Unveiled and the secret doctrine. And I, I was quite surprised how, how she was talking so much about giants and ancient megalithic cultures in Atlantis and Lemuria. And I was like, I, I thought, I kind of thought that was more of a, like a modern thing that we were all just sort of like, it's kind of a modern mythology. You know, I didn't realize it went sure. back to the late 1800s, but that's around the same time this guy uh, wrote his book.
3: Right. Yeah.
2: Um do you think he, he knew about ISIS Unveiled? Did he read some of that theosophical stuff at all? Or?
3: Absolutely not. I mean, there there's almost no chance that, you know, Frederick Oliver, a seventeen year old kid who, you know, lived in eighteen eighty two, I think he was seventeen in eighteen eighty two. I mean, the chance that he was reading Madame Blavatsky in the front, you know, the the frontier, the wild west in Eureka, California as a minor. I really would be shocked uh if he could even find a copy of that book I would be but it's it's possible but
2: but not you know, not to give away like, any details cuz you know it might just give him sort of the idea that there's something there but I mean he his his he gets into all the details right
3: it, you know look it's possible and I even say that in the analysis I list everything he could have read you know so for example Ignatius Donnelly's um The Antediluvian World came out in 1880 two, I believe. And so when he started channeling this book, A Dweller on Two Planets, four years later, it's technically possible he could have read, you know, a congressman's, you know, story of Atlantis. The only problem is um, nowhere in, you know, Helena Blavatsky's work or Ignatius Donnelly's work do the authors provide even remotely as much information on the high technology. You know, that's nowhere in the antediluvian world. And if Blavatsky talks about it, it's like high mental faculties. She's not describing like the technology, like this is how the flying ship works. This is how holographic handheld projectors work. She's not talking about anything like that. So to me, the story of the high tech Atlantis really begins with this kid's channeled story, A Dweller on Two Planets, which, you know, he claims have, you know, been receiving the voice or the messages from a, you know, spirit or consciousness that was, you know, coming to him from Mount Shasta, because um, he lived right next to Mount Shasta, which is, you know, again, a strange kind of sacred site in Native American culture and with with many, you know, members of... Uh, spiritual movements today. Some strange things have been reported around there, like it's some sort of energy, you know, center, sacred site, like a Stonehenge type thing. Um, So that was interesting. And, you know, the voice basically tells him, look, I want you to tell my story of my past in Atlantis. And what's really interesting is, you know, the kid himself resists really doing it. Like, I mean, as anybody would that's receiving messages that's never received messages, you know, the kid thought he was going crazy. His parents were really concerned. He lost a bunch of friends. Um, and it took him three years, three and a half years <clears throat> to produce this thing, which was a 400 page book about life in 11,160 B.C. On the island of Poside which was one of the final Atlantean islands. And he draws a picture of it. And it's interesting because there's no picture of the bottom of the mid-Atlantic Ridge in 1882, 1886. There's a contour map that the Challenger expedition made with soundings. So, you know, I see it behind you. It's just over your left shoulder, you know, that fin-shaped triangular right so here, here's here's right a, a
2: picture on my screen is this it here like right here
3: yes and <laughs> yeah and google you know if you can pull up a google image of this, this frederick oliver yeah, this sketch of posa yeah. he sketched that before it was even known
2: because I'd, I'd love to know what this looks like with 400 feet less of water you know just for example but i know that the, i know there's theories of the isostatic depression and how and actually sunk quite a ways but Right. It would be it would be good to just see what it would look like without you know without a four hundred feet of water. Well, I mean actually, cor- I wanna,
3: and according to him, like, that triangular shape is Poseidon, you know. Yeah, which is interesting, it's interesting because, because he's
2: because, naming it like how did he come up with Poseidon, right? Poseidon. I mean it's one well, exactly. I mean, of the most account. ancient names.
3: Well, and again in Plato's account, Plato places it directly in front of the Straits of Gibraltar. So there you go. And what's in the middle of the capital look city?
2: Look at that! Look at
3: the that, eh? of Poseidon. In I mean, at,
2: what now? if this whole thing was like, you
3: know? Yeah. So it's like when people say, "Well, where is it?" It's like, "Well, one of the islands, Poseidon, is probably right there at the top of the." At what? What? Ignatius Donnelly even he believed that as well. He said that in his book. He said the Azores are the most likely place that Plato was describing. You know. So, do you in think
0: fact, those little plateaus and stuff. Like you, you think with the whole isostatic depression thing, and that, that even those plateaus that are, I forget what they are, but I want to say they're you know, a couple thousand feet down now, right? Yeah, that's what I was a thinking. Mile. One or two yeah.
3: thousand feet. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's also where um, a giant pyramid underwater was found, you know, by Diocleciano Silva, a Portuguese fisherman who has a picture of it on his depth finder, you know, and that account was just kind of, Oh, it's, he's using faulty equipment. And it's like, well, no, he's not. Um, I actually
1: tried to get in contact
3: with him and had a friend on the Azores who went and tracked him down and confirmed that, no, it's not fake. He really did, you know, have this. And I'm a fisherman. So I looked at the depth finder myself and I know the difference between a reef and a, perfectly cardinally aligned pyramid. And there is one at the bottom of the Azores off the Island of Tercera. So it's like, there's even more evidence. Um, Also, you know, in Frederick Oliver's account, he says, you know, this was a, you know, just like Plato said, this is an empire that spanned multiple continents. Um, And he talks specifically about North America, in a way that's, that's really interesting, you know, like he has an entire theory of how the grand Canyon was forged. And he also, as a 17 year old kid with no geological, you know, um, no ability to confirm these things, he's talking about, did you know there used to be an inland sea here? We used to call it Lake Mitty, you know, in, in, in Arizona. And it's this incredibly detailed account. And it's like, well, that's true, you know, and and on and on and on all these things he talked about um you know talking about well we're flying now in our fly in our cigar-shaped aluminum flying craft that can go <laughs> underwater and in the air and we're stopping at the mines the copper mines in Lake Superior. Well wow, and it's yeah, like let's,
2: let's get I want to just show show everybody this before we move off the mm-hmm. ridge because uh, and I the mines is is fast, the the other fascinating part about it. But you, you referenced your thing on the, on your website here, visions of Atlantis, like this map really shows a lot. I mean, it's unbelievable. This, how did you, where did you get this map from and look at how massive that whole mid Atlantic Ridge is without, was this just without water or?
3: Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's always speculation and it's always, you know, opposing theories of how much of that was above water. I think certainly, at least in the fifties from my research with the people that created that map, like Maurice Ewing. Um, I think that's where I got it from, who was one of the first to actually map the bottom of the mid Atlantic Ridge with, um, Marie Tharp in the fifties and sixties, you know, they actually were really surprised because they said, you know, there's certain aspects of this that don't make sense. Like when they did a deep sea sounding and they found, um, you know, freshwater diatoms and stuff in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. They're like, this isn't a deposit from a glacier. This actually was above sea level at certain points in the northern part of the mid-Atlantic Ridge 12,000 years ago. And it's like, well, that puts us back to the same time Plato was talking about, the Younger Dryas, you know, extinction event, if you want to call it that, or, you know, just the end of the last ice age when the entire contours of the Northern Hemisphere, probably the world were were fundamentally changed. And so it's interesting because Plato, writing in 360 BC, somehow guessed, and when people say this is fake, he somehow guessed from the Egyptians who told Solon the story that the Ice Age ended around 9600 BC, which is exactly when he blazes the final destruction of Atlantis. So how did he know that? in 360 BC. That was not known in 360 BC. You know, how did the Egyptian priests know that a comet hit the earth? It's what he tells Plato in the story. He's like, you have a myth of Phaeton. It's not a myth, though. It actually signifies when celestial bodies descend on earth and burn everything up. You know, I mean, they're talking about things that only in, you know, fairly recent times um, were really discussed. You know, the comet impact theory in my investigation was actually proposed in the Enlightenment by one of Voltaire's friends, um, Gian Rinaldo Carli, in the seventeen mid-1700s, actually said, I think a comet hit the Earth and ended the last, you know, uh, civilization that existed here. And he cited Plato in the 1750s. And then other people ran with that until you've got things like, you know, James Kennett, who found the nano diamond deposits? And Graham Hancock talks about that. And you know, it seems like a comet definitely did hit the Earth um, around that time.
2: You know, well, and there's sure is a lot of means. There's a lot of mainstream acceptance around you know us in Canada being under a mile or two of ice, right? You know, only twelve thousand years ago or whatever. And the yeah. megaphone, the all the megaphone extinctions. I mean, exactly. you know, Randall, Randall Carlson. We do tours with Randall Carlson around the Scablands of Washington. We have one coming up in Montana, Montana and oh, wow. uh, September 19th, where he takes us around all the, all wow. the landscape going over, like what happened in that flood, you know? Yeah. Kinda, you know, there's a, there's a lot of it that's similar to the mainstream, but there's a couple main things that are different, you know, that he doesn't think it all came out of the Lake Missoula. He thinks it came down from Canada.
3: Yeah. And I remember um, reading some of the things he wrote about that, and, you know, his pictures are really compelling because it's like it does look like a bunch of debris and ice flows just gouged out that area like a huge claw coming. from It makes perfect sense, you know. And, you know, if the comet, let's say, hit the actual ice sheet, well, then that's why we don't have an impact crater, you know. Um, so it actually it does make sense. And, um, you know, and between Frederick Oliver and Edgar Casey, who gave you know five hundred readings, um, not intentionally. A lot of them were just incidental past life readings that happened to touch on Atlantis. A couple were study groups who had like a list of questions <laughs> prepared for him while he was in his you know deep hypnagogic trance. And and even he says basically the same thing. It all goes back to this you know ten to eleven thousand BC time window for the final uh destruction you know, um, so I just wanted to piece together kind of I really wanted to make a book where anybody you know my friend's mother or Graham Hancock himself could pick it up and not just learn something but like it really to me, the goal was I want to show people every single angle of this enigma, I want to show you the critics, I want to show you the quote unquote debunkers I want to show you. Pre-Platonic sources that talked about it. So people stop thinking oh, it's just Plato, he made it up. No, it's in the, Mar- the it's ah, in the Mahabharata. Yeah. It's in the king's list, the Turin King's list, you know. It's not just Plato. Um, there's seven pre-platonic sources, I think I cite. Yeah. And then you have Plato's dialogues. You know, there yeah. was a festival in ancient Greece for 200 years celebrating Athena's defeat over the Atlantides before Plato wrote his book. So it's like I don't really wanted to put that to bed. This whole he cooked it up to sell the version of you know an idealized uh, Athens triumphing over the Atlanteans. No, he specifically says at the beginning of the book, this is not a myth. Why would you disclaim that if it were a myth? You know, why? Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: So let's let's talk about the or Dan, do you have a
2: question?
3: Well, I'm
0: just because you at the beginning, uh, we kind of went past it, but at the beginning you were talking about how um you know they kind of got to the point where it was like the slow demise of them not being able to build the stuff anymore i can't remember now if you were talking about that like that was your thoughts on it or if you were dismissing it but uh i mean there just seems to be some some kind of correlations with that with where we're at today no
3: yeah absolutely absolutely um Yeah, I mean, that's like the whole final chapter of the book is basically like, I don't think it's a coincidence that everybody's suddenly talking about this subject in the past, you know, decade. I think, you know, we're all reminded of the way the world is going today. I mean, look, in Frederick Oliver, the 17-year-old kid who channeled, in his vision in 1886 of the end, what was the end? The end was basically the world economic forum of Atlantis abandons everybody and turns into, in his words, electricity and elemental forms of life and abandons humanity. Wow. So it's kind of like a transhumanist ending for him. And they basically, he says over 800 to 900 years, society forgets how to make the phones, the flying ships, the infrastructure, the internet, which he, accurately describes in 1886, which is interesting. Um, And he says, basically, the society began doing human sacrifice and sex rituals and all this weird stuff in these formerly sacred temples until finally he doesn't specifically explain how, but he says, you know, a cataclysm destroyed the civilization. And, you know, the group of people that, you know, used to hold up the world which is interesting because that's what Atlas, the Greek god, does, and that's also what the Aztec god Atlanteotl, halfway across the world, they have the same god holding up the heavens in the Aztec myths and in the Greek myths, which is in, supposed to be impossible since you know Columbus discovered the new world. Um, but he says that symbolically Atlantis held the world aloft in the arts and scientists. You know, until it was eventually this debaucherous Mad Max world that was just trying to survive at the end. And I think that's the civilization that the part of the civilization that Plato was describing was the final centuries, you know, of this Mm -hmm. culture that over many different iterations and governments and races, even because this was a multicultural world with people traveling all over the world and trading and meeting with people. So it wasn't just like one group of people that according to Edgar Casey had been around for nearly a quarter of a million years. Yeah. Which is hard to believe. Did
2: that 17 year old say that, uh, that the collapse, the, the collapse of humanity was related to the cataclysm itself.
3: He said they started, he says that the ape, this is what Frederick Oliver says. This is, since you asked, he said the the apex of human achievements in the arts, sciences, spirituality, and just pure technology was around 11,000, or actually, he said it was around 10,600 BC. He's like, that was the absolute apex of technology. And then over a couple hundred years, that was all lost. And by, you know, 10,300, 10,400 we had devolved back to basically what we would call ancient Greek technology: chariots, spears, sailing vessels, and things like this. Because so people, did you
2: know how you hear, you know how you hear sometimes people saying that it was them, like it was the the devolution of the humanity that caused the cataclysm. You know, like they brought their uh, own destruction. Like, but I almost hear like you're saying it's it's almost a coincidence in a way that uh, after they no. kind
3: of. Is it a coincidence? I mean, I don't know. Like Edgar Cayce said, there were three destructions. The first in 50,722 BC, the second in 28,000 BC. And both of those were human caused by a misapplication of technology involving.
2: Oh, that's what in, that's what I'm thinking of. Probably. Yeah.
3: In, in the first two cases, according to Edgar Cayce, the first was a basically some sort of, well, he was writing in 1932. So he's, you know. Got only so many words he can use, but he basically describes like uh, he calls it a stratospheric weapon that was used to try to start limited volcanic eruptions. That was its intent was to use this stratospheric weapon to trigger limited volcanic reactions to stop the spread of the megafauna that had been overrunning the earth. That's what Edgar Casey said, Wow, and it went wrong. And it actually destroyed the large continent of Atlantis, which he claimed went from the Gulf of Mexico. Basically, the whole top chart of that map I showed you used to be the continent of Atlantis, say in 55,000 B.C., which is why you find like a sunken city off the coast of Cuba or the Bivinie Road, perhaps. And then also things all the way on the other side, because according to Edgar Casey, it was first a huge continent. And then that broke into five islands. And then the second destruction, almost 22,000 years later, which again is like an impossibly, who knows what happened in those intervening years? How many different leaders and cultures? And it's anybody's guess. I'm just telling you what he said. The second destruction would have been caused, according to Edgar Casey, by the crystal, the power plant powering this civilization, being overtuned that destroyed a couple islands, and then there were just three, which he named Og, Arian, and Poseid. independent of Frederick Oliver, who he had never read. So you got two people calling the final island Poseid. You got Plato describing the statue of Poseidon with the Nereids in the center of the capital city. So I think they're all just talking about Poseid at the end. And so that's why the Casey readings became important, because you see the evolution of this continent that over 40,000 years shrinks into this triangular fin-shaped, you know, one of three islands that's, that's remaining. So it's an interesting story because um, what I wanted to do was show, like, OK, Edgar Casey says there was a megafaunal extinction at 50,000 BC. Was there? Well, yeah, believe it or not, according to the Journal of Quaternary Sciences, there was an unknown megafaunal extinction at 50,000 BC. Now, is that proof? No. Is it evidence? Absolutely. Because they can't explain it. And that's a peer-reviewed, you know, zoology journal that says, yeah, it's strange. There's a megafaunal extinction at 50,000 BC. Maybe it's hunting, but doesn't really make sense because there weren't enough people <laughs> hunting to do this, but that's what the fossil record shows. So, um, Or, you know, like when Frederick Oliver says, uh, we're now in our flying aluminum cigar-shaped craft flying to our copper mines in Lake Superior where we get our, you know, copper to use in Atlantis. It's like, well, look at Gavin Menzies. He, you know, did a whole book on the copper mines. There's a chapter where he's like, they would have extracted more copper from these mines. There's like 3,000 copper mines in Lake Superior that are at least 5,000 years old. Nobody can explain them. They're not Native American. Some of the tools they found have Phoenician markings. And I would argue the Phoenicians are a final remnant colony of Atlantis, just like the Minoans. I think the entire Mediterranean world, you could say, is influenced by Atlantis because Plato said it was colonized by them. But what are Phoenician tools doing in Lake Superior, where a channeled kid said that's where the Atlanteans took all the copper? And Gavin Menzies himself said it makes no sense because there's not enough Bronze Age artifacts made right. of copper in the world to account well, for the amount of copper taken away. Well, so it's like, well, okay. well, because
2: Maybe they were using for electroculture, right? I mean, that's the main component of electroculture
3: right or maybe they used a lot of it and it's at the bottom of the ocean you know maybe most of that copper went actually to the capital and it's gone it's it's at the bottom of the ocean in the azores right now what do what do
2: so, the mainstream say about these thousands of copper mines in north they america they can't
3: explain it they can't explain it they, they can't, it's one of many things they can't explain because it's like the native americans themselves said these aren't our mines like we we didn't build things out of copper on that scale. You know, we're aware of copper, but we didn't have the, the, the Potawatomi didn't have industrial copper mines, you know, in 2500 BC. But according to Frederick Oliver, there was an enormous Atlantean mining operation, you know, and that's not the only one like Michael Tellinger in South Africa has always talks about, You know, the Swaziland mine, which has been dated to 50,000 BC. It's like, well, how do you explain that? Who was doing that? The Bushmen? You know, it's just, I'm not saying it's all related. It's just, there's a lot of anomalies on um, industrial scale, even Gobekli Tepe. You know, it's almost like that still is ignored in mainstream historical circles. Like we still teach that the entire world was hunter gatherers until Sumeria. And it's like, well, we've dug up Gobekli Tepe. We can't say, well, where is the evidence? It's like the evidence is pretty clear that that's at least 10,000 plus years old, probably 12,000 years old. And I doubt hunter gatherers built a astronomically aligned megalithic circular site. I just don't. Why? why would that they're not hunter gatherers at that point by definition yeah, yeah they're megalithic architects
2: do you think that so does the does the giza plateau fit in with uh like the the previous dates of of atlantis and and is there yeah. other megalithically like, do you think there's stuff all over the world then that would fit in with that timeline if you really just to speculate even
3: it all makes sense you don't even have to speculate you know robert Bouval um i think pretty conclusively determined that Giza Plateau, the three pyramids are aligned to the constellation Orion as it would have appeared in the sky around 10,450 BC. Okay, there's that date again. Edgar Cayce said the Great Pyramid was started in 10,490 and finished in 10,390. He said that 50 years before Robert Bovall did the computer work to discern that. How did he know that? The Egyptians talk about that themselves, you know, that there was this age of demigods and gods that ended around 9,850 BC. It's like, it all actually points to this window of 11,000 to 10,000 BC. Um, You know, Freddie Silva has made the case that, you know, from his research that the Maya, you know, it's commonly believed that they're only a couple thousand years old, but it's like, in the Chilam Balam, they talk about no. Actually, we come from you know far, far away, and uh, the ocean swallowed up all of our knowledge. And actually, we've been here for you know nine thousand years. And it's like, what does Edgar Casey say? An un- uneducated man who only read the Bible and the newspaper. He says the survivors of Atlantis went to the Yucatan, which is where the Maya are, the Giza Plateau, and the Pyrenees Mountains, where the Basque language which is related to the Yucatec and Nahua language halfway across the world in the Mayan culture. It's like, where does that link come from? Well, and Unless,
2: the Basque, the RH negative blood types of the Basque. I mean, there's a lot right. of interesting, like yeah. weird anomalies with the Basque peoples, right?
3: Yeah, there are. And, you know, even the Center for Basque Studies that I, you know, contacted and uh, cited in the book, they say, look, we, there's no explanation the center that studies the Basque people. There's no explanation for the Basque language or the origin. And they said jokingly, some people think they're the descendants of Atlantis. And I said, yeah, some people do, because there's really no better explanation. Um. And again, I always ask people, why is that so? Like, why, why is it such a big deal, Graham, that that little triangular shape behind you? they don't
2: want they don't want to, because they don't want us because uh, it it it's um, honestly, I think there's it's almost like a cover up. and I mean, whether it's intentional or not, they just don't want us thinking big about our past and that 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 we were more advanced than we were. like they need us to feel like we're the most advanced sort of society. sure, you know we, we, we haven't had these big collapses before. it's you know, I mean, look at how how they attacked Hancock with his with his Netflix show. oh I my mean, God. Like they they really they really just don't want us looking into our past. And to me no. it's a, they they there's there's certain I think elites that know they know about all this. They know about, they have to. They know there's about no all this. There's no
3: way that they don't know. And there's no way that the Vatican is not aware. I mean, in fact, when you know, in the in the Renaissance, when um Athanasius Kircher, you know, a Jesuit uh priest and researcher, very interesting, he's kind of like a Jesuit Graham Hancock of the, you know. Renaissance, like an actual Renaissance man, literally. But, you know, he went to the Vatican library and that's where he produced really what is allegedly the only map of Atlantis. And I find it interesting that it was in the Vatican library, you know, which probably, you know, stole a bunch of things from the library of Alexandria in the second destruction because it's an Egyptian map. And he says that he copied it from the archives. And again, it shows a large island, probably the second iteration before it broke into three, I would argue. Um, But even it, a map from the first century AD, according to him, shows that triangular shape at the top corner of the map. And it's like, I keep seeing it, I keep seeing it, I keep seeing it. And then when I saw the sketch in the Dweller on Two Planets, I mean, I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, That's it. That's side. That's where the pyramid was. That's where the highest point in one of the biggest mountains in the world, Mount Pico, is in the Azores. And in the Dweller on Two Planets, he starts the book with this journey up what he calls Pitach Rock, which is this enormous snow-capped volcano. And what is Mount Pico? It's a snow-capped volcano, exactly where he says it was on this map that he drew in a clairvoyant state, in a cabin in 1882, <laughs> in a mining town. I mean, it's yeah. like, how did that he know all
2: big effect. That had a pretty big effect on you, right, when you, when you found yeah. it? Yeah,
3: I mean, it was that was when I knew this was real, because I'm like, of all the evidence, that, that sketch is so compelling. You know, and I really looked, and I always tell people, like, if you find, um, you know, evidence that there was an actual contour map of the bottom of the mid-atlantic in 1882 please send it to me because the only one i could find was the map that the challenger expedition you know plotted with depth soundings but it's just like a, a colored area there's no contour lines and it's like when you put his sketch of the triangle over the map from a satellite it's exactly it fits 100 match and it's like that's impossible that's impossible there's no way he could have guessed that to that degree of accuracy so it leads me to believe that probably is where you know post side was and it makes sense because that's where plato said it was
2: did so, did he say anything about the pyramids specifically or and did and did uh did casey say anything about what the pyramids were used for
3: yeah casey said that um basically they were Well, basically what people on the alternative side believe they are now, you know, power centers, centers of initiation, Initiation. um, storehouses at some points for certain things. Frederick Oliver, um, for him, uh, he talks about this pyramid in Atlantis, which he says was very similar to the Great Pyramid of Giza. And, um, you know, it contained this thing called the uh, Maxed, or I'm sorry, the Flame. Which he said was a basically this occult light that had always been there that was brought by an occult light bringer again in the past. This is his story, but that the um, the the science involving that was basically it was a large spade shaped flame over a quartz block, and it never went out. And if you touch it, right. And if you touched it, you would be instantly killed and that they used to cremate people through it because it wasn't a flame. It was an actual, he called it a, a interdimensional focal point. And he said that it was the basically like in his science, which he explains in like 25 pages, the science of Atlantis, which sounds like something Tesla wrote or something is unbelievable. But he said that, in the center of that pyramid was this sacred light that they built the pyramid around a smaller temple that they had for thousands of years, because it was the foundational light of Atlantis.
2: That's fascinating. Yeah. It's strange.
3: It's strange. Um, But yeah, I I thought it was interesting because um, you know, so many different people from totally unrelated walks of life, you know, parts of the country, other countries who, you know, I mean, why is the Mahabharata talking about the Isle of Atala that sank into the Western ocean after a 10 year war around 10,000 BC, you know, and things like, it's like, these are hundreds of years before Plato, you know? So I think really I, that, that whole Plato made it up knee jerk reaction. Once you take that away from these people, it's kind of like you realize that's all their ammunition because there's so much more to the story, um, not just about Atlantis, but just about this. Pre-ice age civilization that Hancock and others have spent, like you said, 30 years trying to show people and they still don't want to listen. So, um, you know, I don't know. I just tried to show the evidence to the best of my
0: yeah,
2: yeah.
3: ability.
0: Darren, do you got any questions at all? Well, you must have... Uh, how familiar are you with
3: Randall's work?
0: Randall Carlson.
3: Graham Hancock? Yeah, I've I've read yeah. most of his books. Yeah.
0: Randall needs to get his fucking book written. He really does. I mean, because... I mean, I guess the thing I have the biggest trouble with is it's just so far down there. It's It really relies on that. On something, right? On uh, isostatic depression. Or... I don't know what else. Maybe the expanding Earth. I mean, that could do it too. I'm not sure how, but I I guess if an Earth was expanding, it could do that by ripping some of that upper ground down too, right?
3: Yeah, I've had many people send me um, articles on the expanding Earth to prove, like, that plate displacement. Um, I don't know. You know, I I was not really like. I think a lot of times people think. Um, you know, the, this book was like a gimmick, like we're going to find it. And then you can go home and tell your mama you found Atlantis. It's like, really what I wanted to do was just like, let's take a bird's eye view of the debate. Let's see what's valid. Let's see what I can individually show that's new. And let's show what, hundreds of people have said about this to the point where again as as you said darren like it's so long ago that i don't make any claim to say on you know may 4th uh ten thousand three sixty two, that's definitely when it happened you but your,
2: your your map on here sure sure makes me it made me think of the expanding earth Uh, theory you know with these two continents kind of splitting off and this huge sort of thing left in the middle
3: well if you look i mean if you look at all the continents it's kind of like they all fit together in a puzzle piece if you squeeze them back it makes sense i think especially west coast of africa and i don't even think that's debatable (laughs) i think that's understood it's just like we don't like you know it's kind of like a geologist i cited um who's talking about this inland sea used to cover most of arizona which we call today lake bonneville dry riverbed you know or dry lake and it's like he even says this he's like few people could imagine that there used to be an inland ocean bigger than lake superior in arizona and he's like this isn't in the jurassic period this is ten thousand five hundred years ago like few people can imagine that the world was like there was an ocean in Arizona and where you're living is two miles of ice. You know what I mean? Like very few people. That's hard for me to believe.
2: Like not, not too long ago.
3: Not that long ago. Like 120,
2: 120 grandmas ago. I mean.
3: Ex- exactly.
0: Oh, dude, you got all your little, they just don't work.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the grandmas, you know, the units. Uh, of yeah.
0: It, it, it wasn't long ago. I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it was really, you know, not fucking long ago it's a long time for all that ice to go at current rates i mean they say the glaciers have moved i don't know maybe they have it seems like they go kind of back and forth but even if they have moved the percent they've moved since we started measuring them is not enough to say where all that other shit went you know what i mean at that rate it would take a million years for that those ice sheets to
3: melt right no and i think what you said at the beginning like. It actually all makes... You know, I always tell people, like, what you said with the scab lands, It's like the alternative... And I hate that word, because to me it's just evidence that's compelling or not. You know, I don't believe, as as a historian myself, I don't... Call, I'm an alternative historian. No, I'm just a historian like anybody else, and this is a valid topic. Just like Carlson, why does he have to be a catastrophist? He's just a professional researcher who's doing his job. And if the evidence suggests (laughs) catastrophism, then that's what it is. But it's like, it makes a lot more sense, especially other pictures. Especially um,
2: now with the mapping, like he's, he's pulling up all the USGS stuff. And like, this is just Google, right? Right. And this is showing the lobe right, right near where we go. Uh, This is kind of where we travel around here, but this is like the lobe of the, of the glacier. I mean,
3: right. I mean, it's like, you you
2: can't miss this. Like,
3: Well, you know, the other thing, too, is like we don't have any reference for this because nobody living has any. I mean, besides Hollywood movies or something like there is no frame of reference to describe what. Or to imagine what Carlson has said himself, like describing this wall of water and trees and mountains coming at you, that's like a half a mile high, like I can't even imagine that myself, so. I understand why people think this is crazy, because what's the craziest we can imagine? A tsunami or a hurricane? It's like this is hundreds, thousands of times, orders of magnitude, crazier than that. Um, so I get it. And if that did indeed happen, we're traumatized by it at an epigenetic level. So we don't want to talk about right, that. Right, right. So exactly. like, I get it. Believe me, you know, because um, it is scary. I love have, how you
2: mentioned yeah I love how you mentioned speaking of uh, epigenetics I've, I've been thinking about how the past was more like the lord of the rings you know with all the different varieties of and I think you even referenced that somebody said that in your book
3: Yes they yeah. do in fact a mainstream Oxford ge- uh, Oxford anthropologist said that the world used to be more like lord of it, he says I think quote it appears now with all these you know hominids that live together that were Hobbit, literally Hobbit, different horrendous. species yeah. of people that were not Homo sapiens, um, that he said it's beginning to look more like a Lord of the Rings that we used to truly live in a Lord of the Rings type world. That was an Oxford anthropologist. That wasn't some guy on a Reddit, subreddit. Right. Uh no offense to subreddits. But um you know, I just show that that's what Casey said. You know, he did he wasn't an anthropologist and he said look there used to be tiny people the size of Bushmen. there used to be people that were 12 feet tall in the very distant past now again i'm not saying that's proof i'm just saying like more and more um even people like that anthropologist i cited are having to come to grips with like homo floresiensis for example yeah. you know yeah. tiny and anatomically not dwarfs like yeah. anatomically proportional miniature people who battled giant Komodo dragons that were 2,500 pounds and dwarf elephants. I mean, that's crazy. And that wasn't that long ago. That wasn't a million years ago, you know, during the Ice Age. So I think we really can't come to grips with the fact that, like, the Atlantic Ocean did not always separate the world. We didn't have to wait for Columbus to set sail with the Santa Maria to get to the new world, you know, that the Phoenicians themselves, we would have records of their voyages to Brazil if the Romans hadn't erased the libraries of their voyages at Carthage when they burned and then salted the damn city. So it's like, not to mention all the three destructions of the Library of Alexandria. So it's like, we don't have even probably more than 0.5% of just the document record of antiquity after the loss of the all the world's greatest libraries that were stolen, burned, ransacked, destroyed in military conquest. So when people say like, well, wouldn't they have written this down? It's like, well, in a pre-internet age, where is it going to go? It's going to go in scrolls. And if anybody knows, it's like, it is in the Vatican. If anybody knows, it's them. But you're not allowed to go there. So... (laughs) We're not going mean, to get those. They're I
0: mean, still
2: brother. finding more, like the non-commodity stuff wasn't found too long ago. I mean,
3: yeah, look at you that. Know? You know, and and again, it's like that was a pure. I talk about that in the book, but it's like that's a pure, complete chance find. I mean, it's like a yeah. one in a million find that those people found those, and look what that did to Christianity. I mean, it's yeah. it's unbelievable, and so it's like you're presuming we have dug every surface of the earth we found every hominid we found every document no of course not you know and have we done uh sonar scans of every region of the mid-atlantic no we've done very few if any you know so i think it's like the search has just begun really maybe it's not even something in my own lifetime that will be conclusively proven because i think it at some level, it's like there is enough evidence, as Hancock has shown over and over, or Carlson or Robert Bouval, or all the people that came before me 30 years ago, I think, circumstantially proved that this global, connected, advanced civilization did indeed exist. It's just now you're fighting, like you said, the pushback of these debunker weirdos, these Michael Shermers, these, to me, charlatans. They're not intellectually honest people. They're ideologues, you know, um, that don't even engage with the information that's new, you know, or they call you a racist or this or that. And it's like, it's just kind of silly to me that you even have to engage with these people.
2: Yeah. I think I think there's a wild card. I think Giants might be uh, some some evidence might come forward that can't be denied about Giants. I think that might be something that that sort of uh, p- uh, pro- projects us faster through all this. I mean, there's
3: that would be so interesting. Much, there's so that would much be interesting. Energy, yeah, I, I, that's something I've a always been. More been uh, the, yeah. I, I always liked uh, like Jim Vieira's work and and people like that Fritz Zimmerman with the Encyclopedia of Giant. And it's fascinating because it's like I've never seen a giant skeleton you know in a museum myself um i wonder if it's true you know like when ancient sources describe like we saw a 13 foot uh giant when we were building carthage and it's like well you know 90 percent of what that guy said about other things we've found to be true and it's like i always look for things where there's no incentive to lie you know like if strabo or something is just reporting on well this is what uh I found in, you know, this survey of Carthage and everything else is like the flora, the fauna. And it's like, and a 12 foot skeleton in a cave. It's like, dude, <laughs> dude, it's like, okay, well, what's that all about? Yeah. You know?
2: And all culture. I mean, every culture has their, their mythologies of giants and, sure. and huge people. So, I mean, yeah, it's, mythologies it, again, it, who,
3: who, yeah. who calls them that that's yeah. us. That's yeah. us. They're just stories to these people. Yeah. You know, it'd be like if somebody found the remnants of, you know, uh, North America uh in 2000 years after a cataclysm and it's like oh you know you're just talking about the the myth of you know the airships you know the myth of the submarines that they had the myth of the the star weapon that could destroy life on earth you know it's like no these are just technologies we have or things that we wrote down um and described so you know um i mean i know there is like a physiological limit Allegedly to I think when a person becomes over even like nine feet tall, it's like circulation circulatory system. Pro- and again, it's like I, I don't personally, I don't care if there were or were not giants. It's it's just like I don't care personally, believe it or not, if. Side indeed is on the map where I said I'm just like looking at the evidence and it convinced me that this is real. And it's the same when I see, you know, stories, particularly from North America um, from the 19th century. It's like, why would all of these people be making up this story? These people weren't making money. These are just people like we're digging a foundation for a cemetery, uh, blah, blah, blah. Today, in today's news, this is how big the femur was. Okay, moving on. It's not sensational. It's just no, like and, and it might
2: have been different atmosphere back then too. I mean, there was the megaphone exactly. as well. I mean, there there might have exactly. been different things, right? So yeah.
3: Right. Yeah. And I think that's a very important point. Like, not just with the density of the atmosphere, but with the geography of the continents, you know, like we need to really kind of stop looking at the present map and saying, Well, where is it in the I mean Rudolf Steiner said that, and he used a theosophical society um for maps that I showed that again, they're not like ancient source maps. It was just like the theosophical society created their version of what the earth looked like from the past million years. And basically it's like all it's like a much closer. And then it's after the breakups, you've got the kind of current contours, but that's why Rudolf Steiner says you need to stop looking for evidence of Atlantis only in the bottom of the North Atlantic. You might as well look in Tennessee, or Brazil, or Montreal, you know, you just as well find it there, because you're talking about wildly different contours, you're talking about the Sahara Desert was a verdant meadowland with lakes, Egypt was a verdant meadowland, Siberia was temperate, Canada was under an ice sheet, Antarctica was getting temperate, you know, it's like, I don't think people realize that, they just go, oh, the map's brown now, how come (laughs) there's a, Atlantis in the desert. It's like, well, it was a river system at the time. It wasn't a desert. So, you know, I'm not saying the reshot structure is an Atlantean city. It could be. Randall Carlson thinks it's natural. Okay. I, I, again, I don't put all my eggs in like it's right here because this is a global thing. You know, Atlantis itself, according to my evidence, existed concurrently with other advanced, medium, Primitive cult, just like, basically the same world that we're in today. It, it's really not that different, folks. You know, it's just they use different energy and perhaps had reached a higher level of technology.
2: Sp- and spiritual technology. And
3: spirituality. Yeah, and evil as well. I yeah. mean, you're talking about human cloning, genetic human animal mutation, sex trafficking, human sacrifice. I mean, you've got Epstein basically in that. One of the Casey readings is basically describing a, an Epstein. In Atlantis, in one of the readings, it's a disturbing reading what this guy was doing and you know, cloning sex slaves and making them to his taste. And it's like one of the weirdest readings Edgar Cayce ever gave to this guy. And he's like, Learn from your lesson, man. He's like, You were a Persian slave trader, but in Atlantis, you were doing the craziest stuff with these women that you could create to your taste, and this is how you did it. And it's like, you know, it's just I think it's it's much more of a contemporary story than this fairy tale. It's actually just kind of like what we call Star Wars, you know, um, which, again, you know, begs the question, because all these readings were done many years before George Lucas ever came up with the franchise, and they're talking about the franchise. So it's like – and there's very little evidence that Lucas – use the Edgar Casey and Frederick Oliver readings to make the franchise, you know? So it's like, perhaps we all are t- tapping into some lived reality. You know, that's yeah, what yeah, Tolkien sure. himself well, was a huge believer in Atlantis. He used to have dreams about it. And he based the Island of Numenor off of Atlantis, according wow. to a letter he wrote to a fan. So again, I think it's interesting that the two biggest science fiction franchises <laughs> in the world are describing what Plato, Edgar Casey, and others have said was real, and I think that's why we we're so drawn to them.
2: Exactly, that's why we resonate with them so much, and they are like traditional hero's journey. Like there is a deep mythological connection with the hero's journey, which they're sort of destroying right now in Hollywood. I mean, right? They don't even want the hero's journey anymore. But
3: yeah, well, I, I think, think it's that's- also it's one of the greatest stories of all time, even yeah. if you think it's a pure fictional story. You know. Yeah. If you read what these people were doing how what they had achieved and just the the like crystalline levels of evil and good that these people had reached it's unreal like it's absolutely incredible like you think epstein was bad or you know name another character it's like you got no idea until you read that chapter and see what true evil is and yeah, yeah. You know, or what goodness is, you know, you think, you know, this leader or that leader was the greatest. Well, think about, you know, one of these women in the book that does a certain thing. And it's like. And, I, you know, I think it's basically it's just it's today on extreme mode. Yeah. Unchecked. Yeah. You it's know, warning, it's kind man. of like
2: it's a where
3: we're going if we don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. So. But um, yeah, any any final questions? I got about. No, no we uh, should.
2: Yeah, we, we know you got to bounce. So uh, maybe just uh, where we can find your work and stuff. I'll put links in the show notes. But uh, yeah, just oh. say where we can find it all.
3: Yeah, sure. You can find it on um, on Amazon, and um, you can buy it from uh, Barnes and Noble as well, and in English or Spanish. Actually, just finished the Spanish edition came out. Um, yeah, can and you, you can check out. <clears throat> You can check out uh, if you want to contact me or look at any of the maps. Or actually, <clears throat> I have uh, links to "A Dweller on Two Planets." If you want to read it, it's a it's a common uh, uh, public, public domain, domain book. Yeah. yeah, so you can read it on my website at michaeldeflem dot com.
0: Awesome, perfect. Do you have any social media or anything like that where people can stalk you?
3: Yeah, uh, just uh, LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Right on, Michael. Yeah. <laughs> An hour has flown by. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Yes. This is great. Yeah, this has been great. Oh, we don't got a class right away, but uh we'll have to do this again down the road and maybe we can get you and Randall on together.
3: No, I really appreciate it, guys. And um, yeah, I'd love to come back and and thank you so much for having me. I had a great time.
0: Thanks, buddy. Have a good class. Yeah. Okay. And that was a chat with Michael LaFleur. What'd you oh, think? Oh man, flew by. That was great, man. I, I
2: mean, honestly, I really loved his audiobook. I recommend it to everybody. It's, it's guy, he did it in a unique way where a lot of the, the, uh, you know, the quotes from uh, Plato and other people are kind of done in a, in a theatrical, theatrical way. It's it's pretty cool. Y- yeah. yeah. I like
0: it. I like it's the Atlanta really? stuff. It's always fun. It kind of fits yeah. in maybe with the growing earth you know yeah. all sorts of fantastic little rabbit holes to go down and uh you know it's we've heard atlantis a couple of times now uh it's atlantis or egypt you know it seems to be like those are the two the two real contenders if it wasn't just this whole worldwide thing yeah I
2: wonder if that books on uh, audio too that uh, channeled one
0: channeled one We should add that to the list. The list? What list? (laughs) (laughs) Big thanks to Michael for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're a supporter, as we've been sort of harping for the last few weeks. Uh, It's never been more important to support with the audiobook hiatus. we find ourselves with our pants down. uh, America.ca slash support, guys, if you can, when you can america.ca for everything else we're up to there's only a few spots left for montana a few spots left for that uh, great canadian adventure coming up in november uh, 9th to 12th of course you can get into canada without shots now so if you want to come check that out all that stuff's over at contact at the cabin.com and then we love you guys thanks for listening and we will see you next week thanks for tuning in to the live show guys we'll be back next week thanks for the super chats Peter yeah, thanks PC. thanks peter uh, and uh levi did hit us up on the support page so yeah thanks we will uh see you motherfuckers later you
1: just a drop in the bucket baby you're just a single solitary drop in the bucket baby Just a drop in the bucket, baby Just a single solitary drop in the bucket, baby Baby Down on my bandit knee and howl at the moon oh and I drop down on my out the scenery rambling from here and there and back and forth between here and there and back and forth between here and there and to the corner store The Sunrise Corner Store The Sunrise Corner Store The Sunrise Corner Store, the Sunrise corner store. The Sunrise corner store chin pennies Life.